Morning, everybody. I'm glad you could be here with us today. Unfortunately, our online thing isn't working this morning, so uh, in the room is how you're going to hear it today. Jesus, uh, we are thankful for you and for your amazing love for us. We can't say it enough times, in enough ways. Would you continue to speak to us this morning? I know you've been speaking to me already, a whole bunch. Would you help me to figure out how to live that out every single day? Amen. My name is Joe. I'm one of the um, teaching pastors here, and I am excited about what we're going to get to talk about together today. I naturally think, maybe you do too, of God being the one to answer our prayers, right? That makes sense, because we pray to him and he answers. What we don't often think is that sometimes maybe God would have us be the answer to somebody else's prayer. That he has a plan and he has a purpose for our lives, and it's bigger than just ourselves. It's not new to him, it's part of his plan for us. In this series, we're going to be focusing on confronting the biggest threats to Christianity. Have you ever felt like your faith was threatened? With all the things going on in our world, maybe uh, doing this or not doing that, there's nervousness. Well, how is that going to affect my faith? Doesn't something just rise up in you and wants to defend and protect your faith, your belief? our ability to choose to follow Jesus and worship him together? What if I told you that the biggest threat to Christianity does not come from outside of the church? It doesn't come from governments. Our faith is not threatened by other faiths or by those who would want to take away your right to practice your faith. Jesus told his friend Peter, he said, you're a stone, which could feel like it's derogatory if your friend's like, you're a rock, you're like, you're just a stone. But Jesus didn't mean it that way. He meant it like this. He says, Peter, you're a stone. You're a foundation. You are strong. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And not just will I build my church, but it says all the powers, say all the powers. It says all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. He says no matter how hard that wolf comes to huff and puff and blow this house down, he says it's not enough. Jesus cares about his church, and he cares about the people who built his church. The biggest threat to the church is not the devil who would try to take the church down, as he illustrates right here. It's not the powers of hell that we see in that verse in Matthew. Jesus builds the church just as he builds us, and there are no powers that can defeat him. There are no powers that can defeat him. The biggest threat to Christianity, it's you. It's me. We ourselves are the biggest threat to our very own faith. Don't get mad, but it's, but it's true. 
Just stay with me. You want to hear this. Last week, we were focused on the threat of being split apart by our lack of unity, our ability to come together even though we don't agree on everything. We never will. By the way, if you're looking for a group of people that all believe the same thing all the time, it might be a group of one. You might be just you. Because it's hard to find a, a room full of people who can agree on everything. If they do, they're usually called a cult. But despite our differences, we have a common faith, a common bond that should bind us close together, that should be able to supersede all the differences that we may find in our lives. This morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be set apart, to be made holy. Holiness is accurately reflecting who Jesus is in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. Last week, we talked about what it could be to be torn apart. This week, we're talking about what it means to be set apart. We're going to focus on what the Bible term is for that process, just so it doesn't confuse you later, because we don't usually use these words all the time. The Bible term for the process we go through of becoming more like him and letting go of our sinful hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. The Bible uses the word sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. It describes the process of being made holy. Is, you know what? This is like the most freeing thing this morning. It's okay to be in process. It's okay to not be all there right now. I think I only know one person who showed up and was there. His name was Jesus. But even he went through a process just to show you, look, I've made it through the process. I'm good. This is how you want to live. In order to be holy, we must subtract ourselves in order to allow for the addition of Jesus in our lives. We have to be willing to subtract my ways and my thoughts and my plans for his ways and his thoughts and his plans. When we compromise instead of become sanctified, we become a threat to Christianity and its witness to our world. People look at us and say, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't do the things that they read. I don't see Jesus in them. That's where the biggest threat comes, is do our lives accurately reflect who Jesus is? Do Christ followers look more like Jesus? And can people see Jesus in us? And that's why he's called us to be set apart. Subtraction may look different for each of us, for one, it may be throwing off sinful habits. For another, it may be giving up the need for control. For another, it may be holding on to unforgiveness. Whatever it could be for you and I, the need to be sanctified, to be made holy, is real. We are broken and sinful, and we need to subtract those things to be set apart. When I prayed and said, God, I don't want to just talk about this. What is it that you want me to subtract? 
And that's the question I want you to be asking yourselves. God, where are the parts in me? Because, I mean, I sing this song too. I surrender all. And it's fun because you're like, but I don't really know what all means until you ask him to be specific. What is it that you really want me to delete, to move on from with your help? And what does that look like, Jesus? And sometimes he may bring something up to you because it's this feeling you get on the inside. And maybe you're like, I thought we already took care of that. Because when I talked with him, he was like, I'd like you to focus on getting rid of selfishness. And I was like, I thought we were good with that. He goes, well, sometimes you can remove something, but you don't really get it all. You get a lot of it in the areas you're most comfortable with. But it's something I can let go of more and more. I might be the only one, but I have the capacity to think of myself first before I think of others. And when there's all these different things in our world happening, it's easy to think of how it affects me instead of how it affects others. And Jesus is saying, I want you to think about others more because I think about others all the time. If I didn't think about others, Jesus would say, I wouldn't have come down from heaven to give my life that you could be free from sin, that you could walk in knowing me, that you could be made holy like me. If you're afraid that the biggest threat to Christianity is outside of you, this great verse in Matthew 7 reminds us. It says, evil originates from inside a person. Coming out of the human heart are evil schemes, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. You might have to do, use Wikipedia to find out what some of those are, but they're not good. He says, it's not the devil made you do it all. It's that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. That inside of us, there is just gunk that needs to come out. That the desires to do these wrong things, they live in us. And the only way to get rid of those is to ask him for help. To say, God, what is the things you want to remove in my life that I might look more like you? That I might be holy, that I might be set apart. Sometimes we need to realize that there may be pieces of us getting in the way of Jesus properly shining through us. That we might be blocking out his light to the world. As a Christ follower, we must be willing to give ourselves up to Jesus because we can only be effective and fruitful when we're operating within the plan he has for us. Hey, Clay, just for fun, would you throw the um, I surrender, just the first verse up? just because I like to mess with the production people. So all to Jesus, that's so broad. But you're like, I give you everything. Cool, that's a great place to start. Then this question says, I freely give it. It's not begrudging. It's not because like, oh, goodness. It's because I want you to have every part of my life. The parts that are bad, I want you to replace them with the parts that are good, parts of you. And you're like, well, I don't know if I could trust somebody like this. This guy who wrote this could. He said, I'm going to forever love you. I will forever trust you. I don't have to worry that if I surrender my heart to you, that you'll do something wrong with it, that you'll step on it. We're going to get to this part at the end, in his presence daily live. If you want to be more like him, you have to be connected to him. 
the first time I ever realized that I was personally set apart, that I was made to be different, was I was 13. Maybe I noticed it before, but the first time that it shockingly shook my life, I was 13, and I had a, a junior high youth leader. I went to church, uh, and we had our youth group or whatever you would call it, and we had our junior high thing, and I had this youth leader who was a big guy. Now I look at him, and I was like, I wonder if I was as big as he was. But he was a monster. He was huge. Um, I still, I mean, he was probably only youth leader for six months or a year, but I still remember his face, his name, Sean. And he pulled me aside one night and said, do you know why God made you a head taller than everybody else in this room? I just thought it was gamma rays or something, <laughs> something, you know, it's like my parents both drank milk and uh, jeans or something. And he said, you're not just big because you're big. You're big because God has a plan for your life and it's to be a leader of all these ones. That God's going to make you to stand out. Like if you read in the book of Saul, it says he stood like a head taller. It was because God wanted to use him to be a leader. He goes, God wants you to be a leader in your life. I always felt awkward and now I felt set apart. Now I felt like God had some plan in my life and all these things were a part of it. Could you hear that for yourself today? That God has a special purpose and plan for your life? Before you even were clued into him knowing you and loving you and having a plan for your life, he was like, I'm already thinking about you. I'm already thinking about the world around you that I want you to impact. When I was going through high school, I realized I was definitely the biggest threat to Christianity. That my choices, my habits, my patterns were going to be the difference between me living out my purpose, being set apart or not. I had to make some choices. It doesn't change when you get older. You still have to make choices to choose to be holy. So what should we do as Christ followers? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. It says, that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you paid careful attention to him. You've been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with the old way of life, has got to go. He's talking about the, the life you lived before you met Jesus. He says everything has got to go. Have you ever been to one of those sales and they're like, it's all got to go. It's all 50% off, 70 They're usually mattress places and they have them on forever, right? You're like, do they sell it back and forth like every week? And it's like, new owners, got to sell it all. But here, he's using that same idea. He goes, you got to sell everything here. Nothing can stay. We're liquidifying everything in here. Everything that's connected with the old way of life has got to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. You know what happens when you keep rotten fruit around other fruit? Somehow it just makes the other stuff go rotten much faster. You keep a little bit of rottenness inside of you, it's just going to make other things rotten. That's why he's saying everything has got to go. Get rid of it as fast as you can. It's like uh, our good friend Pastor Adam around here. When it's 
spring cleaning? That guy knows how to everything must go. He's one of those who loves to just throw it all out, right? You got to do that in your heart and say, I need to throw all that stuff out. Everything must go. It says, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. Ooh, I love the word, God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. How many of you would love that God's character, Jesus' character, was reproduced in you? That you started to make decisions like Jesus did? Because we look up to him and we go like, he did such a good job. Like every time somebody said the wrong thing to him, he didn't respond like I would have responded. He responded like only Jesus did. That he used his words to encourage and empower and lift people up instead of putting everybody else down. That he said, I see the things my father wants me to do and I do those things. He didn't say, I'm going my own way. Hey, we're going, we're going on a cruise this week, guys. He goes, I need a vacation. He, he, I don't read any of that. I don't hear him going, man, I need to get more into my 401k. I hear him saying things like, I want to put all my treasures in heaven. I want to focus on the things that are eternal, not on the things that are temporary. It's God who makes us like him. That verse said, God accurately reproduces his character in you. Not that you have the strength on your own to just go, I'm going to be holy. Don't you just want to do it all and have enough strength and willpower? He goes, no. Nah. God's going to do that for you. He's going to help you with that. He sets us apart. He helps us change so that we can reflect his character, not our old way of doing things, which tends to be sinful and self-centered. At least it does for me. Subtraction sets us apart for sacred service. When we're willing to allow God to come in our lives and subtract the things that are the old ways, it makes us more ready to be used by him, to be part of his service, to serve other people, because we can better reflect him then. Paul says to choose love. That's, that's one of the best ways to start becoming holy. It says it in Philippians 1. He says, my prayer for you is that you will overflow more and more with love for others. I thought he was going to say that you would overflow more and more with love for yourself. Sometimes we're really good at loving ourselves. Is the whole loving other people thing that gets tough. At the same time, keep on growing in spiritual knowledge and insight, for I want you to always see clearly the difference between right and wrong. How do you know the difference between right and wrong? You connect more and more with God. That's what it means to grow in spiritual insight, that you become to understand his voice. You become to understand his ways more and more, and you go like, oh, no, nah, he wouldn't want me to say that. Oh, he would definitely want me to help them there. Oh, I should stop and pull over. You start to know. That's when he said, like, my sheep know my voice. He goes, you start to become trained to go, like, I know what God wants me to do. You'll be able to see clearly the difference between right and wrong and to be inwardly clean. If you just think about it, like, what would it feel like to just be clean inside? To not have hurts and past and struggles and guilt and shame 
but to just allow him to wash over you and clean all that stuff away and to have a real fresh start and to be more and more like him. He says, so that nobody would be able to criticize you from now until the Lord returns. May you always be doing those good, kind things that show you're a child of God, for this will bring much praise and glory to the Lord. Being a child of God, a Christ follower, should be obvious to everybody. He says the things that you do that ends up emanating out of who you are, it's not just about doing tasks, it's not just about the things. He goes, but it's ultimately going to be part of how people go like, oh, they're a child of God. Like they follow Jesus for sure because they see it coming out of you. Is my life, is your life obviously different, unique? Do you appear to be set apart from those people around you so that they go, ooh, something is different about them? Peter challenges us again. He goes one layer deeper. How do you become more like Jesus? He says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings has a weaning from your old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Man, who wrote this? It's not okay to always expect it to go my way. I thought that was what it meant to be a Christian, that it would just always go my way. Oh, I've got to wean off of that. That's a sinful habit, he says here. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want? Man, that what I want is tyranny, that it's keeping me captive, that it lords over me, that it rules everything inside of me, that trying to get what I want is what it all becomes about. Wow. says, you'll be able to live your days out free. I want to be free to pursue what God wants for me. I don't want to be tyrannized by what I want. says, you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life. Partying night after night. A, a drunken and profligate life. I don't even know what that word means. It means not good, right? It says, now it's time to be done with it for good. I underline that for me. I said, now it's time to be done with it for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't want to join with him and the old gang anymore, but you don't have to give an account to them. They're, they're the ones who will call to be on the carpet before God himself. He says, you have to give an account for you. But he goes, it's, it's time to be done with that way. It's time to let the old life go and choose to walk in life that accurately reflects who Jesus is. Subtraction sets us apart for sacred service. Maybe you say to yourself, I just don't know how to be done with my old life. How to put things behind me. To make this choice, you have to determine what's most important to you and who you most care to be connected to. Jesus told his friends, he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He lops off every branch that doesn't produce, and he prunes those back that bear fruit for even larger crops. He's already tended you by pruning you back for greater strength and usefulness by means of the commands I gave to you. It says, take care 
live in me and let me live in you. For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. He says, if you want to learn to be made holy, you have to stay connected to me. I can't stay connected to my wife by checking in with her for an hour and a half once a week. I, she wants me to talk to her every day, I guess. It's kind of like, geez, you're asking a lot. That was not in the vows. But she actually loves me. She wants to know me more. She wants me to know her more. And that requires staying connected. See, you can't plug in, and then after an hour and a half, you're like, see you in a week, and then I'll plug back in again, and think you're going to stay connected to the vine. Imagine if in the backyard I cut a branch off, and then on Sundays I wrapped it back up to stay close to it, and then I took it back off. That thing is not going to have any life in it. God's desire for us is that we stay connected, that he lives in us. We must choose to have Jesus at the center of our lives every day, to give him space to sanctify us. He needs the room to go like, did you think about this today? Because to be honest, if he dropped it all on your doorstep one day a week or one day a month, one day a year, it's too much. But a little bit every day helps us get closer in the right direction. Who you spend time with, you ultimately start to act like. You want to reflect Jesus, you hang out with Jesus more. You want to reflect your friends, hang out with all your friends. Now, if Jesus is living in them strongly, you may throw off some of the Jesus vibe. But that's just up in the air. Because you can see Jesus' 12 friends. It was hard. They spent three years with them. And they were still like, I'll just chop his ear off. And he's like, whoa, what did I teach you? What did I teach you? He's like, I don't even know that guy. And he's like, come on. We struggle to be more like Jesus. Even when we spend time with him, spending time with others who know him, that's like... Phone, it loses its way. On, it's like playing that phone game. You're like, you tell him I said this. You tell him I said that. Eventually, you're like, I don't remember what it is. We start to sound like, we start to look like those people that we hang around with. I remember when I lived in Southern California, um, I worked at a, the U.S. Center for World Missions, and I worked with their properties division, and we rented out housing, and that helped fund missionaries do stuff. It was great. I ended up being on, like, the sales side. I helped rent or sell properties, and, but I, we had a huge team of um, largely Hispanic workers who would help renovate houses. These guys were from South America, Central America, Mexico, uh, a couple from the United States, but it was like, Spanish was language one. My boss was from Argentina, so he's like, let's just do this meeting in Spanish. And I was like, I did take it in high school. So about three minutes into it, I was like, he's like, you know what we got? And I was like, no. <laughs> but over the years, my Spanish got back, got back to be strong. But I would even find myself speaking in English with a Spanish accent. I was like, like they could better understand me if it sounds Spanglish, right? But you start to reflect the things you hear more. 
I guarantee you, if I go to Ireland with Rob for two weeks, I will have a bit of an Irish accent just because I'm mimicking what I'm hearing. If you've ever traveled, people do that all the time. It's pretty common. It's because they, they like what they're around, that they would try to speak Australianish or English, the real high T English. We, we start to mimic the things we're around. That, that works in a positive way, but it also works in the negative way. So the choices that we make are more and more important than we understand. I still can't get off the question, but I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't think I can give it all up. I don't think I can make the change. Here's some good news. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You have to surrender to the process, but God is, he knows, he knows I'm weak. He knows I'm going to forget about it tomorrow. He knows I'm going to quit sooner than I should quit. He will stay to it. He's faithful. He will help see me through that change. He will help work you through it. He's faithful. It's not about how faithful I am. He says, if you commit to this, Joe, stick with me. Stay close to me. He goes, we'll get there. We will get there. Trust me. well, do I really want to do this? Does God even? Yeah, it's, this is an obvious one here. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. This is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. He wants us to be more like him. That's the whole purpose, the whole point, that we sh- should avoid sexual immorality, that we should learn to control our body in a way that's holy and not honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. I thought, man, I don't know if I should do this verse because this is talking about a whole bunch of this sexual stuff and blah. Can I tell you, we need to talk about that stuff. If you can't talk about that here, where can you talk about that? He says, your bodies are one of the best ways that we reflect who Jesus is. He said, you need to have control of that thing because it would like to have control over you. The lusts of the flesh, the things that you go like, these are just natural. They're just naturally bad sometimes. They need to be confined and put in the proper channel that God ordained and he created for it. Only by subtraction can we really be set apart for service. Maybe you say, it's my life though, I want to choose. You get a choice. But you're the biggest threat to your relationship with Jesus, and you're the biggest threat to Christianity, maybe you shouldn't make that choice. I'm the biggest threat. Maybe I should trust that he knows what's best for me and that he knows what's best for the world, my world around me. He chooses to make us different. All these look pretty much the same. Some of them have been in some creeks and some lakes. Well, actually, those ones are lost. There's a lot of those. And then there's this one that he's made different. It's okay to be different. It's okay for God to go, you know what, I'm going to make them unique. I'm going to set them apart. 
I want when somebody looks at that to go, oh, you're using a red one. Yeah, it's a red one. It's okay for people to look at you and go like, oh, you're not doing what everybody else is doing. It is okay. You get to choose that. And if you choose to say, I want to be set apart, I want to be who you've called me to be, I want to be who you've made me, and I'm okay with being different than a lot of those around me, he will see you through it, and he will help you through it. And even as you think about that question, what am I supposed to have subtracted? What am I supposed to get rid of? Get specific. Ask that question, and don't stop thinking until you get there. He will tell you. He will shine the light on that. And if you're like, oh, no, that's not it. Let's go for another one. Go back. It's usually that first one that pops up. He brings that thing right to your surface because you're like, oh. Have you found more purpose in your life without Jesus? I haven't. I find on my own that I'll just stick on to my own thing and find that life really has no meaning from day to day to day. But when I'm allowing myself to be used by God, amazing things happen to others, and sometimes they happen to me. My personal experience is that trusting his guidance and direction and plan for my life is far better than any other way there is. Far better. Can I show you a short video? It really is short, but I think it underscores some of what we're talking about. What a great media team we have here who made that for us. 
or we download it from somebody else. God's worked with me on honesty. Uh, <clears throat> no, but all those verses that were in there, instead of me reading 20 great verses that say that, you know, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I set you apart. Where he talks about that we are called to be a light. If you live in a home, you go to a workplace, or in your community that feels dark at times, it's because we're called to be the light. That he would send you to a dark place actually makes sense to him. When you're like, well, this is hard because I feel like I'm the only light. He goes, perfect. That's why you're there. You're on mission. I'm, I've set you there. People all over are going, I want to go someplace where people don't know Jesus. He's like, I put you, I put you there. He's like, I'm good at this. Just let, trust me. Be Jesus wherever he's called you at. Wherever you are, reflect him in such a way that people go, oh. Because if you're reflecting Jesus accurately, people will draw closer to you, not pull farther away from you. Because if you see the Jesus that I saw in the Bible, people ran to him, not from him. Jesus, would you make us people who are attracted to other people, that they go, I want what you have because I'm seeing peace inside of you. I'm seeing joy. I'm seeing hope. I'm seeing faithfulness. I want that in my life. They're not looking in our hearts and seeing, I see fear. I see anger. I see resentment. What people see in you makes a big decision on if they want what you've got. We're the biggest threat to the church. We're the biggest threat to somebody else coming to know Jesus or not because of how well we reflect who he is. Is our lives changed by Jesus' goodness, his mercy, his grace? Have we allowed him to sanctify us, to set us apart so that we would be Christians used to be derogatory. It means you guys are walking around little Christ. You guys, you're just trying to be just like him. Yes, I am. I want to be just like him. I would love for you to connect this week with Jesus in a real way. In the next 24 hours and say, God, what is it that you want me to subtract to make more room for you in my life? If you give him space, he will share with you. He says, if you knock, he'll answer. Jesus is not going to let you go silent. If you need to connect with somebody to go, how do I better hear from God? We can work with you on that. But it's something you're going to know inside, just really quickly, really immediately. It's not necessarily writing on the wall or you hear a voice outside, but you're going to know inside, in your knower. He's going to speak into your heart. If you don't know Jesus and you don't have a personal relationship with him, that's the place to start. Saying, I want to know you. Because on my own, my life is not going where I thought it was going to go. I feel like when you said fear and anger, and I feel like that's how people would see more of that stuff in me than peace and joy and faithfulness. And I want that in my life. I want to be a light in my family, in my work in my community, my world. That just requires you accepting his free gift.
allowing him to cleanse you of your sins and wash those away and choosing to follow him. And if you're a follower of Christ already, I think that there's some great opportunity this week to get serious about making Jesus the center of your life. If you want to reflect Jesus, he has to be at the center. And we have to choose to connect with him regularly, like that he's the vine and I'm the branch, that I just flow out of him instead of I see him once a week. Or I, once a couple times a month or something. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your loving kindness that draws us closer to you. Thank you that your encouragement in all this doesn't put on a bunch of weight of guilt. It actually gives me hope that there's freedom. There's freedom from my sin and freedom from my shame. And the fact that you would bring up that you want to do real change in my heart is loving. It's kind. That you want to make us holy, make us more like you. It's not because you're angry with me. It's because you love me and you call me your child. It's right that I look like you being your child. Would you help me? Thank you for these verses that remind me I can't do this on my own. I have to stay connected to you and that it's you who works this process out in my life. It's you that helps me become holy. Jesus, would you give me the strength each day to listen hard for you and to say yes when you point out areas where I can make adjustments, where I can subtract that way, that old way of living and choose to make room for the God-centered life that you have for me. Would you bring freedom today for us? If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the center of your life, you've never started a relationship with him, I have great news for you. It doesn't cost you anything up front. He paid it all. There will be a cost down the road. You'll have to do things like subtract the old ways. But it's worth it. If you've never done that and you want to invite Jesus into your life. You want to receive his saving grace, his forgiveness of sins. Would you just slide your hand up? I don't think we're online right now, but if you're online, just text them or you can use this text number. If that's you, just do that. You will never regret that decision. A life with Jesus is immeasurably better than a life without him. And if you're here today and you're like, I want to be set apart, but I, I'm in a, also in a place where I desperately need prayer. We'll have a couple people up here because sometimes you feel like you prayed the prayer, but you're not sure he heard it. We'll agree with you because the God who is working in you to make those change, he will help make those things happen. Jesus, thank you for a life that will better reflect you because of your loving kindness that gives us the opportunity to follow after you and that your forgiveness helps cover over our mistakes and gives us a fresh start as we choose to run from the old ways and run to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.